So what we just heard there was a clip from the classic 1982 concert movie, Richard Pryor Live on the Sunset Strip. Probably one of the greatest concert comedy films ever filmed of all time. And of course, you've tuned into another episode of Comedy History 101. Where we school you in comedy. I, of course, am Harmon Leon, and with me, as always, is Scott Colonico. How are you, Scott? Hello, Governor. How are you doing? Coming here uh, straight from Oktoberfest. Oh, okay. Uh, so th- that's why the funny <laughs> voice. Okay, I was great. mixing. Yeah, I was mixing things up. Yeah, I didn't. Know, I couldn't do a Richard Pryor voice. There you go. Yeah. So, um, if you tune into our last episode, our last episode was about comedians who fuck up and attempt comeback. So we sort of covered the the fall and the attempt of rise of such comedians as Louis C.K., who recently tried to have a comeback, Kathy Griffin, um, Roseanne Barr, and Sam B., who really, she didn't really have, like, to attempt a comeback. She just made a minor snafu on her show. So in this episode, we cover probably the worst attempt at a comedy comeback, back-to-back with Probably the all-time greatest attempt. Not even attempt, it was success at a comedy comeback. Probably one of the ultimate comebacks in showbiz history, as a matter of fact. And I talk, of course, about Richard Pryor and his special Live on the Sunset Strip, which we just heard a clip of up front. So Scott, we're both going to talk, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about it, dude. Not just you. That's right. I'm here to talk yeah, about sorry. it too. I, 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 I can I fix that in post. Don't worry. I'll dub That's in. That's excited. We're both excited. And, and Everybody's I'm, excited. And, and it's going to be talked about the two of us on this episode. See, I'll dub it in like that. So yeah, what, what, you was your, what was your take of, uh, just to get us rolling, of, uh, of last week's episode of, of these comedy well, comebacks? What was your sort of takeaway? Uh, the comeback, I mean, I think part of the the thing about being the, the comeback is you got to be a little contrite. You got to like, you know, look like you paid your dues. And and, and um, some of the other people we talked about last week, you know, you know, Louis C.K. Uh, for example, didn't it didn't feel like they paid? They felt like they paid their dues. And this week we're going to talk about uh, a couple different new comedians. One of them, which I kind of feel the same way. Don't think you pay the dues. And another. Did you mean pay who, pay their penance? Rather than dues. Yeah, yeah, penance. Yeah. Well, dues Because I think, I think they penance. paid their dues coming up, but they didn't well, pay everyone the price does, of yeah. forgiveness. Yeah. So, right, yeah. Right, but right. anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Don't want to interrupt your train of thought. No, that was it. I think we've got this. We're going to wrap it up this week with a couple of good, uh, a couple of good different examples of, you know, somebody who's come back worked and somebody who's come back didn't work. Um, and both of them are self-imposed, self-imposed, you know, immolations. Uh, if I could use the word, um, but very different in in a way too. So it'll be interesting to talk about these two comedians that we have coming up. Yeah. So let's kick off, of course, with probably the 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 most infamous comedy meltdown of all time. I mean, I can't think of any other stand-up meltdown uh, whatsoever uh, that occurred on stage than in November seventeenth of two thousand and six. One Michael Richards on stage at the Laugh Factory in Hollywood, California. Shut up! Fifty years ago, you had your own tied down with a fucking pork up your ass. Scott, I'll leave this to you to tell what happened. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that, dude. You know, even though I, I actually have my own thing where I think everybody should be able to say anything, but. I'm not saying that because I'll, I'll be sampled and on a rap record in no time. But yeah, basically so, what happened so was... So you think every, anyone... So as we all know, I mean, I'll just paraphrase uh, what happened. I mean, I think in yeah. all modern history, we know exactly what happened. Uh, Michael Richards, known as Kramer on Seinfeld, was on stage at the Laugh Factory. He was being heckled. He didn't handle it well at 
all. Uh, He responded to the hecklers by just not not saying racism, but screaming racism. Yes, being very racist. And it wasn't, this is kind of where my my thing is, there's a certain word that Americans are no longer allowed to say. Even though everyone else in the the world can use it still, but America, we can't use it. Really? Wait, 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 everyone in the world can, can use it? (laughs) <laughs> well, let me put it this way. Let me put it, and this is really interesting because, hmm. okay, I'm not going to go out because I'm not going to even say the word. We're going to go, we've been into this. I'm not going to go out and call somebody the N word. But hmm. if I'm reporting that somebody else said the N word, um, what's happened in the last year or two is that people won't even print it. Which that disturbs me a little bit. Um, one of the re- one of the articles that we were when you and I were researching for this, there was a New Yorker article from mm-hmm. 2015, but it was talking about our next comedian, not not Michael Richards. But in that article, they actually you know use in print the word the N word, which I don't know if that would have happened um, if that would have been printed you know this year or last year. Which and that's the part of it that disturbs me. Yeah, and not to digress a little bit, but um, there's coming up, the New Yorker magazine is putting on a festival. I think uh, the curator is Malcolm Gladwell, and it's all about an exchange of ideas, and Steve Bannon was scheduled as one of the speakers, but there was such a protest that they canceled Steve Bannon's um, appearance there, which... I don't think is a good thing. I think Steve Bannon is a deplorable, and not to, I'm not using deplorable because Hillary Clinton is there. I just use it. That's the word. Or to, to push your them. push your book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Meet the deplorables <laughs> available on Amazon. Available on Amazon. Uh, on yeah, 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 yeah. But um, again, as as the left, and I'm of course a member of of the left, is like shutting down free speech is kind of what defeats the purpose of what you're fighting for mm-hmm. yeah no i mean yeah i mean as long if he wants to come and talk about his horribly racist ideas you know that's as long as it's framed properly no i just think uh, you don't have to agree with it but it's just like uh it would be interesting from a person from a psychological viewpoint to see you know how his mind works because he's you know he's a disgusting human being but the point is uh free speech you can't really shut down you can't use the excuse that we don't agree with his ideas so he shouldn't be here because you're just you're shutting down free speech but anyways i digress so let's kick back into so michael richards yeah on stage at the laugh factory he he didn't deal with this well and there's two there's a couple interesting things like this um so um you know there was a group uh uh you know trying to order drinks and and they kept disrupting him and they just said you know you're not funny you know and he it was kind of during that era where like there was TV shows like Mind the Mencia where they're kind of, you know, pushing the... Uh, Chappelle show. The, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and the racial sort of boundaries. And and, right. and and it was kind of in the era of, and we talked about this before, of edgy comedy. The edgy. edgy yeah. The edgy comedy. And I think what happened was in Michael Richards' mind, he thought, I'm going to just do this edgy comedy and because, uh, you know, that's sort of popular. I'm going to show that I can... You know, tote the line of this edgy mm-hmm. comedy. Yep. And he sort of gets a laugh with his first line about, you know, you should have a fork up your ass. So he gets like a legitimate laugh. And I think that just encouraged him more to, to, to tote the edgy line. Like, like I'm just going to be edgy and shut him down. Except, you know, he's not known for being a stand-up comedian. Uh, and he just didn't have... Well, first of all, the skill to be the edgy comedian, and 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 second, you know, is like what we're saying about Kathy Griffin in our last episode. Uh, you know, there was nothing that resembled funniness or a joke or or something like really out of context about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. If he could have like come back around and and pointed out some kind of foible or or something, or kind of used it, like I can see, you know, yeah, edgy comedy starting out that way. Um, I think uh-huh. the other part of the problem is that he, I mean, he did start. Michael Richards started out as a stand-up. I'm pretty sure. I think and he was an I, improv guy. Uh, improv just... stand-up dude, and I think he was like. 
trying to it, it, it's got to be i'm not excusing him i'm just saying he's you know this guy is making you know made a million dollars and he was you know i've, I've seen an he episode was friday, he a was million on, dollars yeah an episode. He was on, i think that's what and they he was getting. on fridays i remember that was the first time i remember seeing him he was on fridays before that so in 2006 at that time he had been in the public eye for you know almost 20 something years you know and then and then you know, he gets on stage thinking he's like the the super comedian, great comedian guy, and he's yeah. in a real, co- you know, the comedy factory. Was it the comedy? Uh, the Laugh, Laugh Factory. factory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, which is a real club. That's like the club where you know Dave Chappelle will go up and do six hours, and those guys are, you know, it, it's like a real, you know, working man's comedy club. And he's trying to go up and do their same kind of act, and and he's just out of practice, and and just it, it, it didn't work, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he, you know, he didn't start as a stand-up. He's like one of those guys that, like, Steve-O from Jackass, not saying Steve-O spouts, like, racial epithets, <laughs> uh, but, you know, they become famous, and uh, Al Madrigal made a good point of this. Like, these people who have had careers and, you know, and are known, you know, for other things other than stand-up, and they, as as something like, oh, like, almost as a last resort, just go... Well, I'm just going to become a stand-up comedian because I'm famous, you know. And the audience will give you that for about, like, three minutes. And then, you know, if you don't have any jokes, they'll just, you know, they'll shut it down. Because it's like these people are just playing off of their fame, you know. And we've seen it before with, you know, other, like, famous people that have attempted stand-up. But, you know, they don't pay their dues. They don't go through the club circuit and all that. But I think at the yeah, time, I mean, like... Yeah, I mean, sorry, I think just to, to, to clarify that, yeah, I think... Yeah, yeah. so basically he started... Actually, oddly enough, another person we've talked about this program, he started out doing improv with Ed Begley Jr. So that was kind of his training. So he was he was kind of, you know, he was an improv dude in, in and around L.A. because Ed Begley was, like, you know member of the LA scene so and then he got yeah. a got a start with Billy Crystal when Billy Crystal was was doing stuff so yeah Mike, he'd Michael never Richards? been like a yeah so he'd never been like a real you know hitting the road stand up you know guy who like was able to like deal with audience members coming at you like that yeah unless, and, and, you know, unless it was like improv and then no what is it yeah and, and then yeah go go to your where go to your where that's right yeah. no it's it's yes and yes and that's what I meant. yes and yeah. but i think i think at the time like owner jamie masada uh you know i think he like you would get and i've seen this at like the laugh factory and stuff you put the most famous person that's going to be on the bill on the marquee. So I don't know if Jamie yeah. Masada was doing this at the time, but I, I I would predict that I would bet that he did. You know, he would put like, you know, tonight, Michael Richards from Seinfeld, and that pulls right, in yeah. the tourists, you know, and the tourists come in. So I he was probably like one, not saying a famous comedian, but he was one of the, of course, one of the most famous names like he would put on on the marquee and and it was and it was so weird that um in and uh i've read this at it that he actually i think michael richards did the second show that night or he came Uh back the following night and and got on stage you know like nothing happened at all and just did i don't know how that set went but uh i'm sure he didn't acknowledge what happened but after the fact um um and again, this is another interesting thing. Like, you know, this was the rise of, I mean, it was the first time you noticed, like, the power of cell phone cameras in, in, yeah, in that was interesting. That was it. Yeah, yep, yep, in 2000. And also, you can, I'll notice it was before cell phone connect cameras were connected to the internet. And that's why it took a couple days, you know, for it to come out. Yeah, so I believe that happened on a Friday, and word didn't get out until Monday when uh, TMZ started uh, distributing the footage. But um, owner Jamie Masada, I think, just was totally backtracking. He said he put him on stage uh, that Saturday night only because he thought Michael Richards would issue an apology, which is so not true. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty, yeah. Because the name of the club is like the, the the name of the establishment is comedy club, not apology club. <laughs> that would be that would be fun to go watch watch apologies all the time. No. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's like you know people expected Louis C.K. to sort of apologize when he appeared, you know, last month at at the Comedy Cellar, but it, that's not the establishment's uh, business model. 
<laughs> no, that's not uh, uh, a form for people to issue apologies. <laughs> no, 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 no. They got to make make the monies. Yeah. So, what, what was the backlash uh, like after this happened, Scott? Well, um, there was a lot of uh, circulation in the media. Of course, as we mentioned, um, the uh, the tape got aired on TMZ and circulated throughout the media. So everybody saw lovable uh, character actor uh, Michael Richards uh, Kramer from Seinfeld as a horrible racist. So that did not look too too good. And then he kind of laid low for a while until he was um, he <clears throat> he came back on um, the David Letterman show where he issued kind of an apology, uh, along with kind of brokered by uh, his friend um, Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, I mean, I believe that was, you know, that week that he was on. Good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, like it happened on a Friday, and I believe that was the following week that he was on Letterman, giving like probably what it was just... that, that apo- Okay, I think there's two things going on with that Letterman apology. First, Jerry Seinfeld was on Letterman because um, they were um, they were releasing the box, the DVD box set of Seinfeld. Okay, so I, yeah, that. I think I think there, that came into play because I think Jerry said, you know, just go on Letterman, apologize, and we'll sell lots of DVD box sets. And if, if and if you don't apologize, you know, it's going to hurt our sales. I don't know if he said it in that words, Jerry. Like lately, like when you see him on Comedians with Cars and other interviews, he seems a little bit like a, a, a really jaded guy, doesn't he? Yeah. Like lately? I, yeah, that was actually, um, so yeah, that was, uh, I think it was about the 21st or 22nd of November mm-hmm. 2006, and the um, explosion happened on, the, the race-a-rama happened on November 17th. Should be Michael Richards. Michael, are you there? Yeah, I'm right here. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hello, hi. How are you doing? I'm uh, not doing too good. Yeah. Why don't you explain exactly what happened for the folks who may not know? I, uh, I lost my temper on stage. I was at uh, a comedy club trying to uh, do my act, and I got heckled, and I, I, I took it badly and went into a, a rage. But I think there was something to that, that that was part of the reason why he went on to apologize. And it's kind of one of the most uncomfortable things. I, I mean, it was like just the weirdest forum for him to do that, like in front yeah, of a live it, studio audience and on camera. Yeah. And like at one point, Seinfeld's like going, and then the audience starts laughing and he's like telling them not to laugh. And yeah, it was just kind of odd. Yeah, because um, in his apology, instead of saying African-Americans, he said Afro-Americans. Uh, said some pretty uh, nasty things to some Afro-Americans. A lot of trash talk. and uh, Stop laughing. It's not fun. <laughs> oh, crazy, wacky Seinfeld Kramer. Yeah, and and like always, and it, this goes back to the other apologies that you know were issued from like say Louis C.K. and uh, 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 edgy comedian Kathy Griffith. You know, first he said, you know, he did the Trump thing where you go, uh, I'm not a racist. I'm probably one of the most un, you know, it's insane, you know, that people think I'm a racist because I'm not a racist, you know. Same thing like Trump says. But mm-hmm. um, he, he also said, um, you know, I, I was trying to push the envelope. <laughs> yeah, he was an edgy comedy. He was doing the edgy comedy. Yeah, yeah. So I think he also appeared on Jesse Jackson's uh, syndicated uh, radio show. where um, and, um, Yeah. What, what did you hear about that? No, no, it's that and, and Al Sharpton as well. Yeah, but they refused to accept his apology because he yeah. was like he would do his apology in a public forum like the David Letterman show, but he wouldn't actually seek out the people who he personally attacked. Yeah, so it was just the whole thing was weird, and then it and it even got weirder with the um, with Jerry's uh, the follow up and the comedians in cars getting coffee. Yeah. Sorry about that. You've got to, you've got to get coffee too. You tell me that you had done a couple sets. No, I never. Do you want to? Sometimes I said, oh, I must, I should. And normally I would have gone in and, and, and played around with this uh, material. 
but no, no, I, 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 uh, I, uh, I busted up after that event seven years ago. It, it broke me down. It was a selfish uh, response. I well. took it too personally, and I should have uh, just said, "Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm not funny. Right. Uh, I think I'll go home and work on my material, and I'll see you." Tomorrow night, blah, 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 and split. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that was in 2012. So what was your uh, weird takeaway on that? Because I was... Yeah, this- it was just another weird... I mean, I noticed how they saved that for the very end, which is like another, like, okay, we're actually making this show, and they're kind of making that part of it, making that a part. You know, I mean, I mean, to me, it's just like if you wanted to... to Maybe put that up front. I mean, like, and like otherwise, but they, they just did the standard showbiz thing where like they kind of saved that for the the end. I mean, I, I don't watch a lot of those. And I'm just I'm yeah, kind of watch- I, I like them. They're kind of fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, I get they're okay. I'm just I'm not re- I, I'm really not into the format and and uh, what have you. So I guess we'll in the cars. On that. I, I, the, uh, there's or lots the of things that. <laughs> the whole there's lots of things that bug me about it, but we want we'll I'll have to like I'll be in the minority minority on that. And just yeah, say, okay. That's a whole nother episode. That's a whole nother episode. I mean, I think it's it's cool that Seinfeld did that on his own. And he just started doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. From that you know, props to him for that. Um, just not a big fan of the. I'm 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 not a big fan of just people. Talking to you. like it would be they'd be like the Scott Harmon show. Wouldn't that dis- discredit the whole genre of podcasts? Uh, well, no, because <laughs> it's, it's, it's to uh, no, because there's two different. There's like the podcasts that have a point. I, I'd like to think that we have a point here where it's me and you talking. Mm-hmm. We've known each other for a while. We're friends, but then we talk about the stuff that's interesting to us. And then versus the podcast, where it's just two people who know each other sitting around talking shit, which is just like okay, that to me isn't that interesting. I mean, I know we digress here, but I think what it, he's doing is transforming the uh, talk show format, where instead of they're yeah, like, totally. in a yeah, studio, yeah. they're in a car, and, and and they're talking in the part that it's a car every week can get you a car sponsorship. So yeah. from a marketing standpoint, that's kind of ingenious, and you know, it's essentially just a talk show. And, it's just, you know, I mean, that's... Yeah. No, I mean that was my point. I, I, yeah, you're right. It is ingenious, but at the same time, it's just it's just another talk show with a different angle to it. Which I'm just all right. I'm not. I'm not going to get that excited about it. Yeah, but they had that like on you know uh, Paul Provenza's The Green Room, where comedians are talking to other comedians. You know, and and you know like it's like WTF, but in a car, really. Comedians with cars and coffee. You know, um, not the biggest fan, but I applaud Mr. Seinfeld for doing something different. So I definitely give him the thumbs up for that. And, but that yeah. was weird. The Michael Richards thing on there go, was. Oh very wait, odd. wait, oh, back on point. Yes, go, to go ahead, back go on ahead. point. Yes. <laughs> it was odd because that was another non-apology apology. It was just very odd. Like I was, yeah, because it was saying it was very towards the very almost very last part yeah. of the episode. Yeah, but it was. I, I think like you could tell Jerry's reaction. He was just like suddenly, you know, his whole body language just stiffened up. You know. And he was trying to get him to, yeah, open up a little more about it, but it just, yeah. you know, it didn't really happen. And, and you know, and then to, to Mr. Seinfeld's credit, yeah, he was he was doing the interver, interview thing where he was, you know, spending time with him, you know, getting to, you know, get reacquainted and then coming into mm-hmm. the difficult stuff at the end, so... Yeah, um, but did they? They've had like a Seinfeld reunion photo like prior to 2012. I, I mean, again, researching this, but um, the, yeah, the weird part was like, well, not weird, but Jerry like finally just said, you know, sometimes you got to let the baggage go, you know. Yes, yeah, me. and you're the one that makes that decision. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, I thought the whole Kramer or Michael Richards on comedians and cars up until that point was. Yeah, I don't know. They're just driving around, making fun of stuff. That Sugar Ray Leonard stuff, that was sort of funny. Um, But that was like, all right, no, that was like, suddenly you're like gripped. I thought that was, you know, just this real kind of, uh, uh, you know, emotional interaction, like, occurred, Mm -hmm. you know. And then there was no follow-up, just like a montage of them looking at stuff and laughing. (laughs) It's like, but... uh, Yeah, and then and then like like Michael, I mean, he's he's just got an odd career because like I said, I've been watching. I mean, I've, I've known mm-hmm. of him for a long time, even before Seinfeld, and like he's 
kind of been playing the same persona since I've seen him. You know, you know, since the eighties, he's kind of just right. been the wacky doofus guy. You know, and then that just kind of. Um, you know, I guess this will segue into our next little bit here because he did he did try to do his comeback in uh, 2013 yeah. on the Christie Alley, Christie Alley, Alley uh, sitcom on TV Land where um, uh, it was called Maddie and uh, oh, Christie Alley called plays Kirstie. a diva. Oh, was, are you sure? Oh, it was called no, it's called Kirstie, but she her yeah. name is Maddie. Yeah, she's a yeah. Broadway diva who's had her share of success on Broadway, but. What happens in real life? I always love the idea of being a limo driver. Or passengers. Passengers is where it's at. Well, if we ever get out of here alive and I become a famous actress, I'd be honored if you would drive me. Yeah, so that was uh, 2013, 2014, and suddenly I remember, you know, because I was living here in New York, and um, I just remember seeing these posters pop up, and I'm like, and my reaction is. Like, oh, wow, Michael Richards is one of the cast members. Because, yeah. you know, before that, we haven't heard from him. And it lasted two seasons. So, yeah, like you said, Kirstie Alley plays a Hollywood diva. And, and I believe Michael Richards is cast as her driver. And uh. and actually, Jason Alexander is on that show as well or makes a, a cameo on the uh-huh. show. But but it, it, I watched the trailer. It looked pretty darn shitty. Because I think it was just sort of like a lot of cameos by people playing themselves, like uh, John Travolta and a lot of other people. Yeah. Because um, I think it's one of those like, oh, she's a character, but she's in the business, so we could have these actors play themselves on it. Yeah. And they're all coming through the door. But, um, uh, yeah, so uh, I guess, you know, <laughs> that was sort of the last we heard of uh, Michael Richards. I don't know if you call that a comeback, but I guess it is a, a comeback. In a way, it, the show is on for two seasons. Sure, it's TV land, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he, in a way, you know, and I, not much demand for him after that because, you know, I think he's he pretty much just shot himself in the foot with the whole thing uh, and can't really come back. Yeah, much. I think I, I think, uh, but I mean, I, I think he would have just shot himself in the foot anyway. Because what was that other show? Because I think we were, we we the Michael Richards show. Yeah, and then what year was that? That was before. Um, that was before well, before two thousand and six. So yeah, yeah. So um, and th- I think it was early work. early two thousands. You know, so yeah. Seinfeld ended what year? Like late nineties or so. Yeah. I just, I just, I think people were just kind of. I think he just kind of. He, he, people were so. He was so. It was like that thing where he gets so, you know, associated with that character. He nobody wants to see him as anything else. Yeah, except a racist, and no okay. one wants to see that either. But nobody wanted to see that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they did probably millions of times because that was one of the first big viral videos. So maybe that's his comeback video, though. In a way, infamous comeback. (laughs) Well, that would be my conspiracy theory: is that he planned that? Ah, because oh, Ah. like they like Ah. they say about Andy Kaufman faking his death, or Elvis faking his death because he was tired of being Elvis. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But in that case, he he didn't fake his death. He actually OD'd while on the toilet. No, but that was to 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 go back to one of our earlier episodes. We talked about um, what was the um, the Jim and Andy movie. That was funny because I was I was looking at this um, man on the moon. Yeah, the no, we talked. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, but we talked about that and the Jim and Andy thing. Oh uh, right, I, was, right. I did. I never realized that actually. Apparently, Man on the Moon was like one of the biggest flops in in a while. It lost a lot of money. Well, I think like well, you had Jim Carrey at the height of his career, so his, I yeah. think you're probably putting fifty million just into his paycheck. <laughs> yeah, or something like, like that. You know. Yeah. yeah, not good. But anyway, folks, you can wait, wait, to wait. That you can, you, you can check out our episode about Jim and Andy. Uh, you know, yeah. on Comedy History One One. Look in our archives. Subscribe on. Yeah, iTunes. that's what I was saying. It's 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 there. But we should but, um, we should uh, maybe move on before the. Yeah, I think that's yet. a good point uh, to segue into not only the one of the greatest comedy comebacks, but just probably one of the greatest uh, showbiz comebacks of all time. Richard mm-hmm. Pryor, yeah. Yeah. One time it looked like I had an appendage on my hand was a pipe. 
Because this pipe used to tell me when to go to bed. Pipe would say, time to get up. Time for some smoke, Rich. Come on now, we're not going to do anything today. Fuck all your appointments. Me and you just going to hang out in this room together. But this is this one's a little more. Um, it was interesting because it's more it was self-inflicted, but um, in a different way than the Michael Richards one. Yeah, it was self-inflicted due to you know addiction, but also yeah. uh, we're talking about comedians on stage, not not only repenting for what they did, but also just. You know, just completely being self-confessional about it, and and, yeah. and that's why, um, that's why his comeback project, right? Uh, you know, after the, um, he he almost died, was uh, Richard Pryor live on the Sunset Strip, and that's why that's one of the greatest comedy concert films of all time. I was just like rewatching it, you know, just right before this, and I was there was there's even now there's like I've seen it before, uh, but there's just. Big laugh out loud lines in that movie. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it, comedy, but still, I, I I was laughing out loud at some of the lines. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because we were both of us were looking up because I'd seen it, you know, we were watching it for this too, and then a couple things that people pointed out, we were reading our trivia, reading our trivia, was that a couple things was that when they built the stage for that, apparently, but wait, 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 built, let's let's first let's first uh, tell the listeners uh, what happened, and then we'll work. But we'll answer. Yeah, right. yeah. So, um, just just to preface, uh, why Richard Pryor needed to have a comeback was on June 9th, nineteen eighty, in the early hours of the evening, uh, while Richard Pryor was freebasing cocaine, um, he lit himself on fire and he jumped out of a window of his house in Northridge, California, and ran down the street in a ball of flames. Uh, ignoring pleas from passersby, um, he, he, he basically oh, he, he should have died is basically uh, the takeaway of all that. Um, he just had like third degree burns over uh, I don't know what percentage of his body. I think it was more than half. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, uh, apparently he had he had the police say they'd call the police and the police were running after him. You know, just say oh, telling shit. him to stop, stop, drop, and roll. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, uh, he was on fire, and his clothes basically melted to his body. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so, so. Do, do you know what? So again, let's let's what what led up to this was uh, just basically Richard Pryor was a horrible. Uh, he wasn't even a drug addict, and he'll even call himself this, and he calls it like in in the movie. He was just basically a junkie. Uh, you know. Yeah. Which is the scariest kind when you have enough money to be a junkie. Uh, he, he, he was a junkie. I'm drawn up, fucked up, and out of my mind. But I'm not hooked. <laughs> and people trying to help me, I say, you're just meddling in my motherfucking business. You just think because I'm having a good, leave me the fuck alone. And I'm smoking my shit. Because my pipe would say, I understand, Rich, they don't know. It's your life. Why they don't have a right to fuck with you? Where were they when you needed them? Come on in here with me, because I love you. And we've talked about this before on the history of Laugh Records. Like, even back then, um, what was that album? Um... It was like he's playing pool on the cover of that Laugh Record album. And, and, oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we talked about this on a previous episode that um, for the photo shoot for that album cover, which is probably in the early 70s, uh, like Richard Pryor is just like high, high off his balls on uh, cocaine for that photo shoot. That's what the, 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 the guy behind Laugh Record said. Yeah, I mean, he liked, uh, he li- he enjoyed the coke, apparently, like, when he was, um, because uh, he was a writer, uh, one of the writers on Blazing Saddles, and he was supposed to play that, um, the Cleveland Little role. Yeah. yeah. But, like, even back then, you know, he was doing so much coke that, that like, was apparently, like, what, he walked. 1973, I think, Blazing yeah, Saddles. Yeah, he, he walked, he walked. 
Yeah, he walked into the uh, writer's room and just broke broke out a, a bunch of coke and, like, Mel Brooks was there. And, like, Mel Brooks was like, yeah, not, not before lunch, you know, but, like, yeah, he was doing so much coke. And then Mel Brooks apparently went to the head of Warner Brothers and said, you've got to let us put him in the film and be the main character. And they were just like, nope, yeah. not, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, one of those um, what if sort of moments. Like, what if when... Right before Jimi Hendrix uh, OD'd and died, he was going to do a collaboration with Miles Davis, and it's like, oh, yeah. uh, wow, what what if that would have got made? And same with like Blazing Saddles. It's like, uh-huh. um, a great movie, but uh, you know, what if you had Richard Pryor? It would have been insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the urban legend is that uh, like uh, Richard Pryor. Prior was freebasing cocaine and and exploded, but that that's not the case either. No, um, so his apparently his um, one of his relatives his one of his relatives died, and it was his um, grandmother who had pretty much brought him up. Had died mm-hmm. a couple days before, you know, because I don't know, because I didn't really know this. I mean, he kind of alludes to it in his yeah. act, but like Richard Pryor literally grew up in a whorehouse. No, no, that's a that's a well known fact that he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's basically he, his mom, his grandma ran ran the brothel, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That was our. She was like the the base of the family, you know. And like they also they ran, they did bootleg. They did, they did little little everything. And I'm not quite sure. It was I think it might have been her or one of his aunts. Somebody passed away right mm-hmm. before a couple of days before in June of 1980, and so he was kind of broken up a little bit. And then his story. Is that what he gets into? It was that they were watching him and a friend. Uh, of course, after him being freebasing, uh, five days for freebasing, uh, yeah. him and a friend were watching um, something about the Vietnam War. And if you know the the famous footage of the um, the monk who burns himself, yeah, uh, Pryor was watching that and kind of got, I guess you could say, inspired. And that's where yeah, he burned himself. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. I think it's either I saw like the interview with the guy that was with Richard Pryor, and it was either on the CNN documentary series History of Comedy, or there was another Richard Pryor special. I was trying to find that clip uh, um, while researching this, and yeah, so he, like his friend made a comment that uh, you know that monk was like like almost doing this like martyr heroic act, and that like kind of stuck in Pryor's brain. So, yeah, so he basically, uh, I, I don't know if he, he, I think he just doused himself with rum and lit, and purposely lit himself on fire only because yeah, that's, he was that's just so, story, like, yeah. his brain was just, like, just fried. And um, somehow that seemed, you know, it was like a drug-induced psychosis. Because, like, everybody know how I burn up in Neymar. Everybody said, you know, either, yeah. Have you ever heard of a motherfucker burning up Freebasin? Other than me? Now, wait a minute. If nobody else burned up Freebasin, why do you think it happened to me? Yeah, so basically, uh, there was like a, like an obituary um, written, or there was like a newscast saying like Richard Pryor is dead, <laughs> and and he talks about this in live on the Sunset Strip, and like Richard Pryor's um, laying in his hospital bed, <laughs> he's watching this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and he's then- like, no, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, then he he talks about how uh, in that same bit. I mean, that's a, we'll never get into that. But like in that same bit, he talks about how like even your relatives like won't you know they'll try to cover for you. Like they came like his aunts came over to cook him food and they saw the free basic stuff on the kitchen counter. And they're like, oh hi Richard, are you a chemist now? Anyways, like yeah, I mean it, he should have he basically should have died. And this was uh, so this was 1980, uh, but uh, he well uh, of course he recovered. And you uncovered that that great clip from the Tonight Show. I believe that was 1981. Was that like his first sort of TV appearance after he lit himself on fire? Are you um, are you all finished with the? Uh, you were still going undergoing some therapy for the for the burns and stuff. Yeah. Are you pretty much through with that? Pretty now? much uh, through. I just got to go through every morning. I have to get up and set myself on fire. 
<laughs> and see how fast I can put it out. Yes, little test I do. So far, so good. I think so. Maybe it looked like he was still in recovery, and they were talk or like uh, Carson asked him about that. Uh, it was yeah. an interesting show because it's it's Richard uh, Pryor and George Carlin on stage together, and they kind of talk about uh, doing comedy in uh, the village in, in Greenwich Village in New York City in New York City and going to see going to see Bill Cosby of course and how they were uh, yeah. uh, followers of his act so yeah it, was, it, it must have been right after because he, he mentions being in the hospital and um yeah what was it breaking out I think it was the movie he was promoting at the time no no it was it was busting crazy. no no it was bust, oh, it was oh, busting oh, oh. busting yeah, yeah, loose yeah, yeah, that yeah. was the one busting loose yeah, yeah. Oh, um, the 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 lighting himself on fire that happened like right after uh, the movie Stir Crazy wrapped. That that happened during, it or out. it was like it was like during the, while they were filming Stir Crazy. I think, I think it was already wrapped up. I'm not okay, sure. Okay, it was it was during the making was to, of the film. Yeah, because I I was like curious and I googled uh, how did they finish filming stir crazy but all i could find was i think it was like right after they finished okay. filming well, so they're they're happened, in post yeah. post production yeah. as they say yes so basically uh i know i say basically a lot um in 1982 uh richard pryor filmed live on the sunset strip which is basically God, I say basically a lot, which isn't basically. Said, it is basically exactly. You just said that already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's his comeback uh, concert film, and considered by many, you know, comedy polls, one of the greatest concert films of all time, if not the greatest. I mean, I don't know if they're including Dane Cook's uh, in the round in that sort of rating. Oh my God, yeah, man, <laughs> Dane Cook, dude, you can't, you can't, yeah. you can't leave him out. Dude. Like Dane Cook's career is so like. <laughs> in the toilet right now, but I mean, oh, wait a minute! I, I, I think we might have to. I think we might have to do another episode. Yeah, but you you can you make Dane Cook jokes now that the generation now doesn't even isn't aware of the irony. No, it was like that was a weird. I mean, that's how that's how far his like career is like gone from up to down. And he didn't oh, even man. like say racism or light himself on fire while free. No, he was cocaine. yeah. No. Sorry, maybe yeah. He, no, he didn't do anything. He just was big for some inexplicable reason and then went away. So yeah. So what were you you were saying? So um, the 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 live on the Sunset Strip uh, uh, concert film was filmed for two nights on the at the Hollywood Palladium, of course, on the Sunset Strip, famous old timey theater. Um, so here's something interesting. It was filmed. Over two nights, uh, the first night of the filming was actually a disaster. Uh, like, Pryor messed up a lot of his lines. He, he forgot his train of thought. And again, in the same uh, sort of documentary I saw where he talks about why he lit himself on fire, they actually have outtakes from live on the Sunset Strip where, you know, Pryor's messing up lines and stuff like that. It was really kind of interesting. And I think he actually... Ended the performance early and and, and and walked off stage, which pissed off the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they they'd gotten special length too because they'd uh, apparently constructed two uh, wings to mm-hmm. the set, so prior, prior could kind of walk around. Um, and the director was kind of a famous uh, choreographer uh, at the time, so kind of knew how to do um, dance dance move, but knew how to like. To, to deal with a performer who moves a lot, which is why they'd done that. So the director of photography was a famous uh, director of photography named Haskell Wexler, who um, is known for, uh, he filmed a lot of the uh, riot stuff that happened in Chicago, which was later made into a film called Medium Cool. Um, he did other stuff back in the 60s. He did like, um, oh dear, Heavens to, Be- Heavens to Betsy Ross. Uh, he did. Um, who's, who's, who's afraid? Of, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf in the Heat mm-hmm. of the Night? Thomas Crown Affair. Uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, uh, Three Fugitives. Bruce Springsteen did a couple of the videos for him. The River, mm-hmm. Thunder Road, Secret of Rowan Inish, Canadian Bacon, Michael Moore movie. So he was a famous. Um, I've seen DC Canadian cover. Bacon. Have John you? Candy's John Candy's last film. Uh, no. Actually, that's called Wagons East, dude. Oh, I hate to disagree with you here. 
<laughs> look that up. <laughs> but uh, that that could be one. Uh, Canadian Bacon. That's a sequel. Michael Moore's bad sequel. That'll be on that one. No, that was his like only uh, narrative film, Michael Moore. Yeah, so I'm saying, but like, we can make it. We can make it fit into the sequel. Ah, thing. oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, the director Joe Layton, he he filmed a Barbara Streisand concert movie. Yeah, so he did a bunch of stuff. He did a bunch of TV stuff too. So it was like a couple of big, um, big time industry guys who were behind this movie, and, and it looks good. That's the thing. Yeah, oh, here's something really interesting uh, I read on the IMDb uh, trivia page. Is So it was filmed over two nights, and they spliced together the best bits from the two nights to, to, to make uh, Live on the Sunset Strip. And, and the only way you can tell which night uh, they're using the footage from is if you look at it, the handkerchief in his pocket. Sometimes uh, it's really big, and sometimes it's like really close to the sleeve of the pocket. Uh, so that's okay. so that's a continuity sort of error that yeah. that occurred. But it, I, yeah, again, I was just watching it this afternoon. It's like, oh, he's got a big handkerchief. He's got a small handkerchief. <laughs> yeah, something you might not notice. And apparently, the other thing I was reading was that the whole when he does his famous character of Mudbone, apparently that whole thing's just improv. Yeah, yeah, Mudbone. yeah. Yeah, which is great character, and you could say that was inspired uh, a lot by the work of Moms Mabley, which we uh, also yeah. covered here on the podcast. See, you got you got this whole treasure trove of past episodes, dear listeners. Now you, you can, can go back, back and listen because it's all uh, about it's it's the interconnected history of comedy. Yeah, it's like you can listen to them on um, Stitcher, Last FM, Google Play, anywhere you find your favorite comedy podcasts. Yeah, and here's something that ties the two uh, 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 people we're talking about today together. So in the audience for uh, Live on the Sunset Strip was, uh, of course, there's Jim Brown, who he talks about in a routine because Jim Brown was one of the guys that was, you know, trying to get him off of crack. And he has this, like, great bit of Jim Brown coming <laughs> yeah. to the house. What was it? He kept saying what are you going to do next? It was like yes. <laughs> no matter Richard Pryor is like, <laughs> it's like Jim Brown comes over and says, Hey Richard, do you want to go roller skating? Yes. <laughs> you know, I ain't afraid of you. You know, you ain't no movie star to me. I ain't scared of you. Motherfucker. I'm your friend. What you going to do? You going to get well, or you going to end our friendship. What you going to do? The pipe said, don't listen. He trying to fuck with you, Rich. Jim, I am a man. There ain't no doubt about that. But what you gonna do? And Jim kept saying that to me all through the hall. What you gonna do? Leave me the fuck alone. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm getting the fuck away from you so I don't have to hear what you gonna do. Cause I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do. Now leave me the fuck alone. What you gonna do? And then, then he, yeah, so I think Jim Brown was there like the, the day or that he actually lit himself on fire. But Robin Williams was in the audience, Lily Tomlin, Jackson Brown, and they actually have a cut to like a cutaway shot. You can see uh, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, but also in the audience was Sugar Ray Leonard, who uh, on the yeah. episode of Comedians with Cars getting coffee. So on that episode, they actually Michael Richards thinks he's going over to Sugar Ray Leonard's house, and it turns out to be the house of Jay Moore. That was the big deal yes. of that. So talking about uh, <laughs> redemption, so how did Richard Pryor, as opposed to say uh, you know Louis C.K. on stage trying to make a comeback, how did how did he have Redemption within his material. Well, I think that, I mean it's an obvious thing we've kind of mentioned a little bit here, but I mean it, the fact that he made what happened to him part of the act, and not only that, he made it funny. Whereas I think, like in our last episode, I think you know even like Kathy, Kathy Griffiths might might have made it part of her act, but it wasn't funny. You know, like like Richard Pryor did it, and he made some funny jokes. He made some really insightful jokes about what it's like yeah. to be, you know, addicted. You know, where he's he's talking to the crack pipe. You know, the crack pipe. You know, <laughs> going, hey, yeah. wanna, don't you miss me? You know, that talking about Jim Brown being there. Yeah. Like as I mentioned, you know, his his relatives come over, seeing all his his free base chemistry stuff out, and like, whoa, what's this? And and he made it part of the act, and he made it funny. And I think it was in that. Um, 
we were both looking at the uh, New York Times review of the film, and it was, mm-hmm. they just said it was just like it was it was just kind of brutally honest. They said, "Yeah, it wasn't yeah. super funny, but it was honest, and it felt you know it felt right." Not the blowing up, but it caught on fire. And you know what? It is weird to catch on fire. I don't know if anybody else in here you ever been just burn up. It is weird because you go, "Hey, I'm not in the fireplace." I am fucking burning up. Yeah, yeah. Not only, I think it was, ext- well, of course it's extremely brutally honest. And, and besides, I mean, like the whole last 20 minutes of, of the film is just him talking about uh, doing crack, being on fire. But they, they say that, they said it wasn't really all that funny because I think it's like one of the funniest lines of all time. Uh, especially when, when he goes, you know, when, when you're running down the street on fire, people will get out of your way. Yeah, I mean, there's so much truth in that and so many layers yeah. of why that's funny and how you make comedy out of adversity. Like, how much more adverse can you get than you're running down the street on fire because you're a drug addict like, and you almost died and you're made this hilarious bit out of it and it's like that's why it's like you know some of the best routines of all time yeah and then there's a whole when he when he's like you know he does the the, the switcheroo where he's like okay i'm gonna tell you the real story and then he was like yeah y'all know uh, sometimes i like to have a chocolate chip cookie before i go to bed <laughs> yeah, milk and cookies. And, yeah yeah <laughs> i dip it into the milk and it exploded so i mean yeah i mean it was, it was like a good you know just uh telling the truth but not telling the truth but everybody knew what was going on it was funny now here's how i really burn up now everybody know my friends really know how it happened okay usually before i go to bed i have a little milk and cookies (laughs) no i do and one night i had that low fat milk and that pasteurized shit and I dipped my cookie in, and the shit blew up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, it, and again, it was like completely telling the truth. And I guess this ties back to our last episode and, and what we're talking about. Like, not only Louis C.K., we're talking about like uh, T.J. Miller uh, from Silicon Valley, where we're it's so aware in the public eye they fucked up, right? And you mm-hmm. think. If they acknowledge it and just be honest and truthful about, you know, what happened, you can actually and – not, and again, it's not an apology club. It's not a confessional club, but you can make some great comedy out of it like Richard Pryor did at Live on the Sunset Strip. It's like – again, I was just watching it this afternoon. I was just like belly laughing, just laughing out loud because I forgot, you know, all these other bits, you know. Uh, besides just the the running down the street on fire bit, um, but if you you take where it's in full public knowledge of 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 how you fucked up and you're on stage, but that's the thing that's going to be in everyone's mind. Everyone who sees Louis C.K. on stage, they're gonna they're there's full awareness of what happened. You know, mm-hmm. T.J. Miller to a lesser extent because he's just not that exciting of a character but you know he was made you know the twitter sphere for like a day about being arrested but for calling 911 and being drunk but in louis ck's case you know he like his not talking about you know i whipped out my dick but just talking about you know some bit maybe about what's it like to have everything and lose it in one day you know yeah (laughs) you know at least you could have made something interesting and self-reflective rather than just doing jokes about rape whistles or whatever he did. I wasn't there, so I can't really judge, but, you know. But that's what yeah. that's why Richard Pryor had one of the greatest comebacks of all time, because he, he took all that and what everyone knew and had his moment of redemption and not just like, I'm just, you know, going to tell you what happened. I'm going to be honest, but made a hilarious bit out of it. Probably one of the best comedy bits of all time. Catching on fire is inspiring. They should use it for the Olympics. Because I did the 100-yard dash in about four or six in the underbrush. 
And you know something I noticed? When you run down the street on fire, people will move out of your way. As evidenced by the fact that it won a, a Grammy, the uh, album. Yeah, exactly. And just a footnote, uh, Paul Mooney is cr- uh, credited as creative consultant on it. So I think Paul Mooney was like wrote a lot of uh, or co-wrote, you know, a lot of Pryor's material. Oh, yeah. But yeah, Paul and, and Richard Pryor have been working together for a while. Yeah, yeah. Paul was like one of those guys who was the, he was the guy behind the guy. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure I've seen him live before. Like back in the day, at the, he would play the, the the San Francisco punchline a lot, and he's still performing. But he's like oh, one yeah. of those guys that are just kind of like these uh, cult heroes that like the mainstream public doesn't know, like the yeah, full exactly. magnitude that he was. You know, had a lot to do with a lot of Richard Pryor's material. What I guess one final note is so Richard Pryor, and I couldn't find anything on this. Like so, he turned up. And he filmed these two nights at the Palladium, which became live at the Sunset Strip. But, you know, like Dave Chappelle, when he comes back and he's playing, a, you know, doing a big special and he hasn't been in the public eye a lot. Um, where, where did like Pryor workshop his material? I, I guess maybe the comedy store he would pop in and do sets, but I couldn't find anywhere that, that, that said anything about that. I mean, I would because, guess so, um, we do have a lot of those stories about people like hanging out with Pryor, you know, and he would just kind of show up. Yeah, so maybe that was it because I think there was like two thousand people in the crowd when he filmed mm-hmm. uh, live on the Sunset Strip. So you just don't turn up and just go, all right, now I'm going to do an hour of material without workshopping it. So I guess you know it's probably like the comedy store, maybe. Yeah, you just go in and do you know ten ten minutes at a time or something. I guess. I mean, who knows how it was all working? You know, he'd show up, hang out with uh, Mark Maron, and uh, <laughs> it was there. No, at this the is nineteen eighty two, so yeah, nineteen eighty two, yeah. So it was before pre Maron. So uh, yeah, you know, with um, I don't know the lunchbox guy and the people hanging on the wall. Who who would be there in nineteen eighty two? They're all on. Maybe Howie Hank- Mandel with um, Putting a what's glove, his name and, glove on his and head. Dice, yeah, Dice Clay, Dice Clay, and um, oh, who, who? Yeah, who's who, who's the guy that never that we talked about before? That was going to be like the next David Letterman from. Oklahoma. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ar- Argus Hamilton, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he could be there, and then to tie it all back in, dude. Uh, our favorite uh, Russian uh, comedian, Andrew Dice Clay, roommate, Yakov Smirnov, who yeah. has a role in a Richard Pryor movie, Brewster's Millions, as his driver. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. What a country. Yeah. So, yeah. Did, that, like that? I brought it all back. It, it's good. It's good. It, I think I like how we tie it. We can now tie everything together by past episodes, too. I know. We can. <laughs> On past episodes of Comedy History 101, which you can find on iTunes, Google, Google Play, Stitcher, Last FM, or anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Yeah, subscribe and comment today. So, just exactly. as a final takeaway, what, what, uh, so we did two episodes on comedians who fuck up, attempt comebacks. Some have, you know, fully come back and, you know, uh, you know, and, and are accepted by the public. We have Kathy Griffin who's saying she's sold out Carnegie Hall in 45 minutes. We have, uh, uh, you know, Richard Pryor who came back and then, you know, had a career up, you know, up until he passed away, you know, or he had MS, you know, and, and uh, you know, had a career, you know, probably about, you know, 10, 15 years after, you know, he filmed Live on the Sunset Strip. Uh, mm-hmm. We have others like Michael Richards still in Roseanne Barr we have yet to see. Um, if she will come back in some sort of way. So what, mm-hmm. what, what's your takeaway, Scott? Winner, Richard Pryor. Loser, Michael Richards. On this episode, you get two for one. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and with that, I think it's time to plug away. Scott, what do you have to plug? Thank you, Harmon, for letting me plug away. As you know out there, listeners, uh, Harmon and I do a, a podcast called This is the President where we talk about presidential history tapes and mushroom-shaped penises coming up this week. Um, you can hear that everywhere you find your favorite podcasts like uh, 
Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Last FM, and everywhere you find your favorite pod- podcast again. Um, also, Harmon has been producing one of my movies, which will be showing at the Arataga Film Festival in uh, Switzerland in November. And then also, I have a couple other movies that will be showing in Winterthur in uh, Switzerland in November, and another movie that will be premiering at uh, the Hilava Documentary Film Festival in the Czech Republic. Uh, I say, no, it's actually called Czechnia. Chechnya now or something. It's got, it's got a different. Yeah, name. you don't want to. You don't want to piss the people off there. No, no, no. They'll get mad. and They won't give you uh, uh, beer. Czech beer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's that's it. So um, stop by. This is a present. Yeah, and for me, quick, just quick plugs. Uh, this Thursday coming up, um, I have my regular monthly storytelling show, Tale, which is at the Red Room. Above the KGB bar, it's the finest in New York storytelling, 8 p.m. at the Red Room next Thursday. Uh, also in November, the first week of November, I'll be producing a three-day storytelling festival at the Pit. The Pit's uh, new theater in Chapel Hill. It's called Story Fest, bringing you the best in North Carolina storytelling. And as always, you can check out all our episodes of Comedy History 101 at our site, wordsoverchair.com. Be sure to subscribe. Be sure to comment. We love to hear your comments, and we love to see you subscribe. And with that, thanks a lot for tuning in, and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Good thing about doing comedy in Russia, you have captured the audience. You're stupid. Everybody's so stupid. Comedy History 101.